So I am excited today that we are starting, we're kicking off a new series that uh, is entitled Family Values. Family Values. I, was, I almost entitled it Family Matters, but I didn't want you to be thinking of Steve Urkel the whole time. So we are going to call this Family Values. And today I'm excited to kick off uh, this series with the, the message entitled Building a Lasting Family. Building a Lasting Family. So the dictionary defines family as a group consisting of parents and children living together in a household or a group of people related to one another by blood or marriage. So there's two kinds of families. There's blood family, which means that we have the relatives, we have some ancestors in common, but there's also a spirit family. Amen. There's also a spirit family. So now when a couple marries, they're not from the same blood, but Jesus said, whomever God has joined together, let no man put asunder, let nobody divide. And so the Spirit of God, he makes us into a spirit family, and we are joined together, and we are all family here today because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. We're family because of the blood of Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is also a spirit family. The best families are families that are blood and spirits, so that you have the ancestry in common, absolutely, but that you also come together and you have Jesus in common. And even if you have a blood family, and even if you have a spirit family, you still need spiritual family. What does that mean? Because we all need the body of Christ. We all need each other. So I want to talk to you this morning about family. And I want to begin by identifying some dysfunctional value systems that are, that are evident, that are present in the world we live in today. Maybe perhaps as I go through this, you can relate, you're familiar with. And I can tell you that if you have generations of Christian family, you're going to like this message. You're going to agree with this message. But you may come from a family that is not so functional. It, it, you may come from a messed up family. You're, I believe you're really going to be encouraged by this message today. So now a common dysfunctional value system looks like this. Okay, picture it with me. Money first, social status, or a position in society second, and then family third. And then family third. Now that's not unusual. That is something that we see today. But here's the thinking that if we have enough money and if we have enough of a social status or a position, then in turn, once we have those two things, we can give our kids everything that they need. Sadly, the result of that is tremendous pain. It's tremendous dysfunction for another generation. It is my prayer today that by the end of this message, that there will be some individuals that say, we're going to change the value system that has been in our family. We're going to put an end to the way we have been approaching family, the way we have been approaching life. And it's not going to be about money. It's not going to be about what people think about us because the truth is that a good value system is very simple. It is God and family. 
Amen. It is God and family. And if we are going, if we have God's blessing, amen, we then are able to give our children everything that they need. I'll say that one more time. If we have God's blessing, we are able to give our children everything that they need. You don't want to build a family that your children have to recover from. We don't want to build a family that our children have to reject. Our children shouldn't have to spend their 20s or their 30s getting over their childhood. That time should be for them to grow and learn and become. And when we're able to raise children properly, we give them the advantage that maybe we didn't have. And for some of us in this series today, you will be the first generation in your family to have a godly family to have a Christian-based family. Maybe for some of you, you are fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth generation Christians, and that's incredible. That's the way it should be. But for some, that's not what we had. For some, that's not what we had. And in this series, what I want to do is I want to be able to lay the groundwork in building a godly family. Because at the end of this life, we all know it. I don't get to, it doesn't matter if you have more degrees than a thermometer. You don't get to take those to heaven. It doesn't matter what kind of house I live in or what my bank account has. I don't get to take any of that to heaven. But I get to take that woman, that lovely woman, and my two kids to heaven. And that is what I have to invest my time in today and it doesn't matter if we have done things a little bit in the reverse order what we can do today is we can reprioritize amen and make sure that God is first and make sure that our family knows that God is first in our lives that we would stand and say as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what society does. It doesn't matter what they say. I don't let them identify who I am. I let the word of God identify who I am. I am a children of the living king. And because I am his, I have to instill that into my family. And I hope that you know that I love you enough that I'm coming to you to share this message, to present it to you, that we could be able to Reflect and do some things different in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking and he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So I want to look at a few things that that are very important to us. The first thing is that Jesus promises serious difficulties in all of our lives. That's one thing that you can be certain of, that Jesus promises serious difficulties in all of our lives. The first thing that Jesus promises here is trouble, serious trouble, problems all over the world. We live in a world that is now uh, filled with COVID and filled with economic instability. Even international instability is something that we're facing. And all these other things that are happening in the world, Jesus said, I'm just telling you, you're going to build a house and there's going to be trouble on that house. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what race you come from. It doesn't matter your economic status. There's going to be trouble on that house. There's going to be wind 
and there's going to be rain, and all these things that come towards this house, Jesus tells us the truth. He doesn't set us up for disappointment. He doesn't give us false hope. No. So here's the issue. Wise builders build for the worst-case scenario. Built for the worst-case scenario. Your house is only as strong as its foundation. Amen? And if you're building your foundation solely for good times, you're building it for failure. We're building it for failure. I heard of a, a story of a man who was building a drainage ditch uh, to be able to drain all the rainwater that was coming to his property. And he speaks to the engineer and he tells him, this is what I'm looking for. I want to be able to have a, a ditch for the rain. And the engineer stopped and said, sir, you don't build a drainage ditch for the rain. You build it for floods. You build it for floods. See, the thing that rock people and that sand people have in common is rain, floods, and wind are coming. Amen. He promises it to everybody. And to understand in this life the reason that we need a sure foundation, the reason why we need to build our house on the rock is because there is going to be difficulty. The reality is that there is a devil who is going to destroy, who is trying to destroy your life and my life. He he hates. He hates Christians. He hates us. He came to do what Jesus said in John chapter 10, that he came to steal. He came to kill and he came to destroy. Peter says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5 that, he, that, that, that the devil is like a lion, that he is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He is not only trying to destroy us, he's trying to devour us. The devil wants to do that. He will attack your marriage. He will attack your children. He will attack your family. He will attack your health. He will attack your finances. He will attack your reputation. He'll attack everything that we hold precious in this life. And if you don't believe that, then you're not living in a reality because he's coming for you. Amen. He has attacked our marriage. There's people in this place. He has attacked our children. He's attacked our family. He's attacked our health. He's attacked everything that we have, and he will keep attacking it. But I'm glad to say that the reason why we are still here today is because God is greater and we are building our house on the rock that is Jesus. There are people in this place, where are my survivors at, that have been through some rough stuff and have been through hell and high water, but we are still standing. There is still a song of praise in our mouth. We still have the ability to lift up our hands. There is still joy in our lives. It is not because of who we are, not because we're perfect. No, it's because of who we serve and because we are making a conscious and intentional effort to build our house on the rock that is Jesus. So let whatever comes our way come our way. Problems are going to come, but I'm still going to be standing at the end of the day, not because of who I am, but because of who I serve. It's a promise for anyone who hears his word and builds their house and obeys it. The second thing, Jesus promises total security and success to those who obey his word. Now, success doesn't look the way we have defined it. But the second thing that Jesus promises here is total stability. That's why we're able to hold it together sometimes through difficult moments. And while we may still cry, we're, we're still able to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. 
because of him. Anyone, the Bible says, he says, anyone who hears these saying of me, sayings of mine and does them, not the hearers, but notice what he says, but does them, but the doers of his word will be like a wise person who builds their life on a rock. It's going to stand regardless of what comes your way. Matthew chapter 7, this analogy that Jesus is referring to is in regards to having a sure foundation in the storm. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that, that the word of God is the sword of the spirit and we're able to slay the enemy with it. Psalms 119 tells us that the word of God is the light in the darkness that is able to show us the way. So let me say that if we are building our life on the word, the devil can't beat you. If you are building your life on the word, the devil can't beat you. When you're living your life on the word, you do not need to be afraid of the devil. He needs to be afraid of you. He needs to be afraid because you're building on a sure foundation. You have the sword of the spirit. You're walking in the light. And the Bible goes on to say the importance of the word of God. Then listen, it is in the devil's best interest that you don't believe what I'm saying today. It, it, the devil is hoping that you don't believe what I'm saying. He's counting on you not believing because he's coming for each of us and he wants to destroy what is precious in our lives. He wants to wreck every dream that you have and turn it into a nightmare. And he's prowling around, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, just seeking whom he may devour. But he can't devour those who are building their life on the word. The next thing, Jesus promises failure to every person who doesn't build on the rock. He said this, if anybody hears my word and does not do it, he is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. I've seen a lot of people experience absolute heartache and I've seen a lot of people and so have you experienced failure in their families and we're not better than them. We're not better than anybody. We've faced serious difficulties, each of us, when we are not building our house on the rock. These are the words of Jesus we've all heard stories of devastation. We've all heard about the devastation of other families and, and they're always just continuing down that path. They're either living in sin or they're playing games with God, one of the two. And when you find a family that is on their way to devastation, they'll always say something like, I believe the Bible, but... I believe the Bible, but... Jesus said, they hear my words, they just wouldn't do them. They hear my words, they just wouldn't do them. And people who are on their way to destruction, many of them do believe the Bible. They just don't want to do what the Bible says because it is too hard and because it is too challenging and because it is too difficult. They, want, they believe it, but they, they're believers of the word, but they don't become doers of the word. They say things like, I believe the Bible, but you don't know my situation. I believe the Bible, but I just can't forgive them. I believe the Bible, but I was born this way. You shouldn't, say, you, what, you shouldn't say, I believe the Bible, but what you should say is, I believe the Bible and. I believe the Bible, and because of that, I'm going to leave my sinful lifestyle. 
I believe the Bible, and because of that, I'm not going to repeat my sins. I'm going to get rid of the friends that are trying to weigh me down and are, that are trying to lead me into more sin. Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to find an excuse for it. I'm not going to find an excuse for it. I'm going to find a reason to do the right thing. Jesus promises failure. And the question this morning is, why would anybody be foolish enough to build on sand? If he already said, this is what's going to happen. Why would I build my house on the sand? Can I just tell you? Because the first reason, it's more comfortable. It's more comfortable. Especially in the world that we're living in. We're not living in a non-biblical world. We're living in an anti-biblical world. We are living in a world that is against the Bible. And if you want to be comfortable in this world, the, Bible, the, the world says just reject the word of God. But it isn't about comfort. No, it is about being true to the Savior who died for us. It is about being true to the Savior who died for us. It is about being true to the person who gave his life up for us and being able to stand for him and know that he is a man of his word. The second thing that is more popular is when you go to the beach, people are on the sand. They're usually not on the rocks. They're usually not on the rocks. And, all, and so the popular place today is not the word of God. But the third reason that people build on the sand is because it is conformable. It is conformable. When you lay down in the sand and you get up, it looks like you. It looks like you. But when you lay down on the rock, you'll notice some imprints on your back and you'll notice you begin to look like it. When you build your house on the sand, the sand looks like you. But when you build it on the rock, who is Jesus, I begin to look like him. Jesus said, I want you to conform to me. I'm not conforming to you. Can I tell you, I don't want a God so small that I can manipulate. I don't want a God so small that, that I can waver in, that I can weigh in and, and have him decide with me. I want a God big enough that I can worship. I want a God big enough that can lead me and that can guide me and that can direct me. So a lot of people are building their lives on the sand and because of this, they're seeing failure. And it's generational failure sometimes. Failure after failure. Pain, dysfunction. I don't want for my children and for my future grandchildren. I don't want them to have a failed value system. So I have to start right now building my life on the rock. Amen. Are you all with me this morning? I'm going to give you four things on how to build your family to last. The first thing is surrender your life and your family to the lordship of Jesus and his word. Now, I'm talking to Christians. I know that you're a Christian. And some of us in this place may not be Christians just yet. But we're going to give you an opportunity before we close this service off to accept Jesus as your Lord. But some of you that are here that are Christians are just saying something like this. Uh, uh, I, I know. I know what you're saying. And, and I want to tell you, I know you're going to heaven. I know you love Jesus. But my question to you would be, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your family? In other words, let me say this, is the Bible the final authority in your family? 
Because we're not going to make decisions based on our opinions. No, God doesn't bless good decisions. He blesses his decisions. He doesn't bless good ideas. He blesses his ideas. So we have to make a decision that the word of God is the final authority of our home. We also have to make the decision that every time we need to make a significant decision... We're going to make it together with our spouse in prayer by consulting God always together and always in prayer. Because you see, a lot of the things that you are praying about aren't in the Bible. In other words, the Bible says a lot of things, but it doesn't tell you which car to buy. It doesn't tell you which house to buy. It doesn't tell you where to send your kids to school. No. So many of the decisions that we are making today, the the thing is that we have to pray and consult God and ask his direction and get God's mind about it. And if you let the Lord guide you in making those decisions, he will bless you incredibly. But if you don't, it's just a matter of time. If it doesn't matter what your value system is, it's sometimes it's not going to work until Jesus is Lord of your life. Isaiah 53.6 says this, that all We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone on his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason Jesus died was to forgive us of our sin of independence. That we would rely on ourselves. It says like sheep we have gone astray. One of the most common analogies in the Bible that you see is that God uses is that we are sheep. He says I am the good shepherd. It is not. But let me tell you this. It's not a compliment okay. Because Sheep are pathetic animals. It's not a compliment. They really are. They're cute. But they're not very functional. They can't navigate. They can't bear burdens. They can't defend themselves. They have to have a shepherd. I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And we have one. His name is Jesus. When God looks down on us and he looks at us trying to manage our own lives and trying to work things out ourselves, he's just thinking they're sheep. They're sheep in the midst of wolves and they don't stand a chance. If we were to just come to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd and every day I'm going to trust you for protection, for direction, and for provision. Let me put it this way. I love being a father and it would break my heart if my children said that they didn't need me. It would break my heart if they said they didn't need me. Let me tell you, so let me say it this way, God loves being your father and it breaks his heart when you don't need him. You can call on him. You're denying him the opportunity to do what he loves most, and that is to be our father. You could never dream of how much he loves you. You could never dream how much he wants to be a part of your life. But we have to make the decision and say, Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd. I need you to guide me. I need you to lead me. I can't do this on my own. I love the book of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is an awesome picture of what it looks like to live a life led by Jesus. Don't you want that to be your life? I want that to be my life, and I want that to be your life. So I'm telling you today, we can change our mind of the way we've lived, of the way we've managed things, of the way we've navigated life, and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've tried to do it on my own. I come to you, and I let you be my father. I let you be my shepherd. I let you direct me, guide me. I need you. I can't do it on my own. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. The exact translation of that means that I lack nothing. He gives us what we need. But one of my favorite parts of that is you restore my soul. You restore my soul. What does that mean? All the damage that people have done to me. Maybe I'm damaged because of what my parents did or because what, what someone in my life did to me. All the damage that generational influences have done. The Bible says that you restore my soul. You're going to heal it. So when you choose to be, when you choose and make a decision to let the Lord be your shepherd every day, when you say my value system is God, it means that he is Lord and that he is our shepherd. The second, the second thing to build a, a family that lasts is trusting God as your heavenly father. To meet your needs and to care for you. Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 through 32. The context that is being referenced here is money. But I want to highlight this particular part. He says, no one can serve two masters. He will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is Jesus speaking here. And mammon is the money God. Mammon is the money that promises you security, identity, and purpose. Everything that God is supposed to do for us, but without the mortality. Mammon comes and tells us you don't have to have any particular religion, you don't have to have any particular lifestyle, I'm going to give you wealth, and that's going to take care of all your problems. You don't need God, you just need money. But Jesus said, you have to choose. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry, he says, about life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, what, you, what will you put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for neither sow uh, so, so, so nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Are you not more valuable than them? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, uh, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? I got to trust him to take care of me. Jesus is saying, you got to choose now. You have to make a decision if you're going to serve God or if you're going to serve money. 
but I want you to know that he knows you. Can I tell you that he loves you? Can I tell you that he will care for you if you trust him, that you don't have to work your fingers to the bone trying to make it, that if you could just trust in him, that he will take care of you. He says, cast your care on me because I care for you. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of, his, uh, lust of it. But he does the will, but he who does the will of God abides forever. First, this is John speaking here and saying there's three things you got to look out for. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The world, materialism, and money, all those things. You can either have a relationship with all those things or you can have a relationship with God the Father. And you can trust that he is going to take care of it all. Because what it comes down to is that when we're living a life of disobedience, it's like rowing upstream. You're always against the current, and everything is really hard. Maybe that describes your life today, that when you start living a life of obedience, you can flip the canoe. And now you, you're rowing with the current behind you. And what was once hard has now become easy. And what was once impossible is now possible. And the things are happening without any effort. Isn't it incredible what God can do for us when we trust him? Amen. That, it, that things that were, before, that were difficult for us before, that when we put God in our life and we put him first, all of a sudden those things now become effortless. If you do not have a trusting relationship with God as your father, you will have a wrong relationship with money. Because we can't serve God. And we can't serve mammon at the same time. If you love the world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not in you. you got to choose. Are you going to trust God to be your Father and provide for you? Or are you going to trust money? Are you going to trust your own ability? I'm going to tell you, I know what I can do, and it's not enough. I need Him. I need him. I can't do it on my own. Matthew and 1 John both have the same context. And the thing is, why, why is this important? Because many families have chosen mammon. And the result is the generational pain that some of us feel today. We have to trust God as our father. It is my prayer that every single one of us in this place would love giving. That, that we would be giving to the Lord. And that when we give, we would have no fear because we know that he has our best interest in mind, that our faith would not be in the economy of man, that our faith would be in the economy of God, and that he'll never go broke, amen, he'll never run out of money, he'll never take his eye off of us, he loves you more than you could possibly understand, and he loves being your father. Jesus said this, he knows everything you need, and then he said, so why are you so worried? He knows everything you need. He's your father. The third thing is we have to think about the generational effects of our behavior and plan accordingly. Every action has a consequence. Amen? Right? Every action, whether it be a good consequence or whether it be a bad consequence, every action has a consequence. So think about the generational effects 
of our behavior, of my behavior, of your behavior, and plan accordingly. Because the, the truth is that each of us here, we could make a horrible decision, and it doesn't just affect us, but it affects everybody connected to us. Proverbs 13, 22 says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. It's intentional. You have to sit down and think about this. Are our children going to have to recover from us? Are my children going to have to recover from me? Or are we going to give our children and our grandchildren an advantage that doesn't come through money, that doesn't come through a social status, that doesn't come through a position, but it comes through God's blessing. How are we going to raise our kids? And the last thing, the worship team will join me. How do I build a lasting family? How do I build a lasting family? You have to keep your family in a Bible-preaching and believing church. Keep your family in a Bible-preaching and believing church. The Bible says that we ought to instruct the child in the way that they should go, that when they grow, they would not depart from it. Many of you have heard my story before, but if you haven't, I'll tell it to you in 10 seconds maybe 30. I was 14, and I grew up in church. And I was, I couldn't go to a football game if I was going to miss Friday night revival. And I'm going to tell you that I did not agree with my parents. I wanted to move out and go live with my grandparents at 14, who went to bed at 8.30. And I never tried it because I'm sure that wouldn't have gone very good. But I remember going through a series of just, man, I, this is boring. Man, I really don't want to be here. I told my mom, I can't wait till I turn 18 and I can make my own decision to not have to come to church with you anymore. But you know what? They kept praying and they kept bringing me to church because I can't make my own decision at 14. They kept bringing me. And... Fast forward a few years, just a few years, and here I am today. It's, it's my obligation. It's my responsibility as the father of the house to bring my kids to church. Where they can be grounded spiritually and build some strong relationships. So it's not just about being in this incredible environment, but it's also about connecting with other like-minded believers. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we come together for, that when we come here, let's stir up love and good works. I'm not going to stir up gossip. I'm not going to stir up ill feelings. I'm going to stir up good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. 
And so much the more as you see the day approaching, encouraging one another, challenging one another. Hey, are you going to come to men's gathering tonight? Are you going to come to women's gathering? Are you joining a small group? I, got, I have to encourage you. I'm going to pour into you because the end times is coming. Amen. So I have to get it together. Even more so. Because isn't it wonderful to be together in this place with other believers? There's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. I know a lot of people watch online because of illness and because of other circumstances. But I truly hope that that's temporary. I hope that we would recommit ourselves to saying, I have to be in the house. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me. Desiree and I were both raised in church, and we're so glad that we were. The best friends you're ever going to meet are going to come from church. I don't keep in touch with anybody that I graduated high school with, but I have a lot of friends in church. So one of the most important things that Desiree and I did was make the decision to find a church that had a program for our kids. And we were serving in another church prior to coming here. But we needed a place that would pour into our kids where we could raise them. And before we even made the decision to move here as a family, we came, we started bringing our kids to Awanas. Because it was important for them to have that experience. And we're so thankful to the impact City Kids team because they are truly awesome and remarkable and pouring into our kids. So why are relationships so important? Because you will be like your friends. Your children are going to be like your friend, like their friends. And we need to have a group of people that we're with. That we can worship together, that we can pray together, that we can stay together. We need to have a group of people that we, that we can say we're, we're committed to being here, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, and that we can hold each other's arms up when, when, the, when it seems to be too much. I'm saying don't build a one-generational family. I'm saying let's make decisions today and on that our kids don't have to reject and have to recover from. Maybe some of us that have lived in that life, we know, you know what I'm talking about. Build a family that lasts for generations and generations from now where the blessing of your life, the blessing of your love and your sacrifice, the blessing of the decisions that you make today is still blessing them long after we're gone. Amen. That it would be a long-lasting effect. Some of us are here today and we come out of generations of Christians. Some of us have been to church all of our lives. And God bless you, you're better off for that. But some of us here today come out of families who had a dysfunctional value system. And you're the Joseph in the family. And I'm going to end by saying this. You're the Joseph in the family. Joseph was rejected by his brothers, sold to Egypt and he went to Egypt and famine hit the land and when the famine hit the land his brothers were starving and they come to Egypt and Joseph saved them. You're the Joseph. You're the first and your family may talk bad about you because you come to church and they may reject you because 
you come to church. They may, they may laugh at you because you leave the, the gathering early on Saturday because you have to wake up early to come to church on Sunday. But they're going to come find you. They're going to come find you in a time, in a dark moment. And you're going to be Joseph that's able to be there and stand in the gap and bridge the gap between the God that you serve and the situation that they find themselves in. You're going to help lead them to God and you're going to help them find a better way. So I want to encourage you today, keep going. Keep fighting. Keep digging. Keep working because you're making an investment. It's going to outlast you. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, we come to you. And we just say you're the Lord of our lives. We make you the Lord of our families. Jesus, we want you to shepherd us. We thank you for how you love us. We understand that we're sheep. We simply can't make it without you. So we surrender this morning to your Lordship. And Father, some of us just don't know you. We just don't have the background of understanding of what a father is. But I pray this morning that you'll reveal yourself as a father to them. That you will t take them in your harps. That you will sustain us, that you will preserve us, that you will hold us. Lord, to this entire congregation, everybody watching online, reveal yourself as Father and break our wrong relationships with mammon. Lord, we pray right now that you would break the generational curses off of our family. We declare them broken in Jesus' name. We break the generational dysfunction off of our family. Right now, and Jesus, that you would restore our soul. That you would heal the hurt that our families have caused us. We bless our parents today, God. We forgive them. We bless our ancestors. But Lord, right now, we make a decision to turn to you. Our value system is God and family. Our value system is God and family. I want you to keep your head bowed. I know there are some of us in this place who may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't, this is the most important day of eternity for you. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid for your sins. All of us come by grace. That means that we don't deserve it. That means that we can't do anything to obtain it but we are saved totally by grace. It's totally by the blood of Jesus. And if you open your heart this morning, if you open your heart, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. The door is our heart. He's not gonna kick the door down. He's a gentleman. He's waiting for you to open it. And if you open the door of your heart to him today, he'll come in and he'll give you eternal life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
if you say today I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus, there's an emptiness in me that nothing can fill. I've looked and I've tried and it hasn't been able to be filled. And I believe today that Jesus is the answer. If that's you and you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, individually, as a couple, as a family, I want you to lift your hand right now and say, I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Lift your hand high. Amen. Lift your hand high right there. I want us to pray this prayer together. Everyone join me. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. And I invite you to come in. Be my Lord and Savior. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of all my sins. And give me the power to change and to live for you. I dedicate the rest of my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we give Jesus praise for everybody that received him today? I'm gonna invite you to stand.